Don't mind the noise. The bumper's under construction right now. Sometimes life gets crazy. You don't know where to turn. Sometimes when you realize that, oh my god, I'm the only adult here. What am I going to do? Because sometimes adulting ain't easy. But we're here to help. Check us out every other Wednesday on the Journey into Comics Network. The following is a Journey into Comics Network production. From the suburbs of Chicago and Illinois, this is The Paul Report with your host, Andrew Paul. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode 47 of The Paul Report. 47! Just three away from that magic number of 50. Which is exciting because I never thought I'd be doing something for 50 episodes. So here we are, almost a year later. So yeah, it would line up. 52. Yeah, so 47. And what I want to talk about today involves a lot of what's going on in the current events, which involves Donald Trump and his recent trip abroad. Now I know what you're thinking. I wonder what Trump's going to do when he's not in the safe bubble of the United States, and it's basically the same thing he does now. It's just now he's on a bigger plane on a different continent and just doing Trump things. But before I get into Trump's trip, there's something I want to talk about that was recommended to me by the podfather himself, which is Nate Phillips, which is regarding Mueller's recent indictment of a lot of Russian agents. So this is an article, and I actually made sure for this episode to have... No more of the same news sites. No more than a repeat in the same news site. So all of my articles I'm talking about today are each from a different news source. So it's not like all Washington Post, not all CNN, it's not all Fox News, it's not. It's a little bit of everything. And they're all kind of run the same thing, so you're getting a more balanced profile from me. Sometimes it's just what's easier to find is some of the stuff that comes up on Huffington Post or CNN or... Stuff like that, but I tried to make sure it was nice and balanced for this episode just to make sure I'm not coming off biased in my show here. So, jumping in, this is actually an article from Slate, and this is Mueller's latest indictment suggests Russia's infiltration of U.S. election systems could get worse. With the 2018 midterms looming, we need to prepare for an even more damaging attack. Much of the analysis following special counsel Robert Mueller's Friday indictment of 12 Russian intelligence officers is focused on their alleged conspiracy to hack into Clinton campaign and Democratic Party computers and email systems during the 2016 election, and on questions about coordination between then-candidate Donald Trump's campaign and the Russian infiltrators. But the indictment also included new revelations about the extent of Russia's attacks on our election systems in 2016, and those details provide a warning that we need to get serious about preparing for an even more damaging attack in this year's midterms. The latest indictment alleges that Russia's intelligence officers hacked into the website of a yet unidentified state board of elections. Among other news information, alleges Russia used then that hack to steal information related to 500,000 voters. That figure surprised. We already know that hackers targeted election systems in 21 states and allegedly hacked into the computer of a private U.S. election systems vendor. The indictment did not name the vendor, but details seem to match a reported hack of the company's VR systems. VR systems has denied any breaches had occurred, but thus far officials have confirmed that databases from the Illinois election system had ever actually been compromised. What's more, reports previously indicated that records of only about 100,000 voters had been accessed in the Illinois breach. That means... The reach of Russia's infiltration of election systems likely went deeper than we'd understood. Perhaps most importantly, as Wired's Kim Zetter identifies, that indictments 
suggest that Russia's attack against U.S. election infrastructure may have been an afterthought. The indictment puts the research and execution of the State Board of Elections and vendor attacks in June through October of 2016, well into the election months after the initial hack of the Democratic National Committee and Hillary Clinton's campaign. As she notes, we would have been wise to assume future attacks will involve more advanced planning. Combine this with the fact that the Russian undoubtedly learned information from their 2016 efforts, and there is reason to believe future attacks on our election infrastructure could be far more damaging. The good news is that many officials tasked with protecting our election infrastructure take this threat seriously. Election officials, the Department of Homeland Security, and the Federal Election Assistance Commission have all been working diligently to ensure that they catch and prevent future attempts to breach election infrastructure. Congress has provided states with $380 million to increase election system security. A new government coordinating council now allows the federal government and local election officials to share information like never before, and many states have made serious investments in new security. This is critical work, but it's not enough. The truth is we can never have 100% unhackable elections. If Russian intelligence agencies or other foreign powers have decided they want to make a concerted effort to attack our elections, they will at some point be successful. The single most important thing states and counties can do in the next few months is to ensure that every polling place in the country has contingency plans in place to deal with a successful breach. That means ensuring that, in spite of a successful attack, people can vote on Election Day, and we have a way of ensuring all those votes will eventually be counted accurately. To start, it's worth focusing on three critical election systems that cyber attacks Cyber attackers are most likely to target. And look at some of those actions that local jurisdictions should take to detect and recover from successful attacks against them. Electronic poll books. 32 states use e-poll books used in the form of mobile computers or tablets that allow poll workers to digitally look up voters' registration information instead of manually searching through paper lists of names. Most e-poll books come equipped with technology that allows them to communicate with at minimum nearby e-poll book units in the same polling location to share real-time voter check-in information. E-poll books may communicate this information over wired or wireless network connections, but e-poll books that communicate over wireless networks present unique security challenges because unlike a wired network, a wireless network can be monitored and attacked from a distance. While the indictment doesn't allege that e-poll books were hacked in the 2016 election, there are reason to believe that they could be an enticing target for hackers if a jurisdiction is unprepared for e-poll book failures. Voters could be told they are not registered or forced to wait for hours to vote while election officials scramble to fix the e-poll books or error locate and print paper backups. For jurisdiction using this technology, there are two important steps to take to curtail potential hack. First, they should limit or eliminate wireless connectivity issues, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth to decrease the risk of a successful attack. Second, election officials should ensure that every polling place uses e-poll books on election day also has backup printed paper poll books on hand in the event of a real or suspected e-poll book failure. Something that's not just helpful in the case of a hack, but also the run-of-the-mill software and device glitches. Currently only 17 states of the 32 states using e-poll books require paper backup poll books on election day. I have never seen an electronic or an e-poll book. I have always gone to a place where there's a paper thing that look up at my information, check it off on a sheet of paper, give me my ballot, send me over to a place to vote and all that stuff and then send me on my merry way. I've never seen e-poll books, so that's a little interesting to me. Another thing is voter registration systems. The voter registration system maintains the official list of registered voters, including individuals' names, phone numbers, addresses, district assignment information, and in some states, political party affiliation. Mueller's indictment confirmed that voter registration systems were indeed a target of the Russians in 2016. Though the only substantial successful hack we know of involved stealing basic voters of a social security number in the case of Illinois. 
Lovely, more Illinois stuff. Great to live in that state. But other types of breaches could present potential nightmare scenarios. Imagine hackers could somehow delete or change voter registration information. So voters would show up at the polls only to find their names missing or registered to the wrong precinct. Or nimble hackles or nimble hackers might make it impossible for election officials to access certain voter files when it comes time to create new poll books. To ensure such attacks would not disrupt any election, officials download an electronic copy of the voter information on a daily basis that will allow them to reconstruct a list should they discover a hack and to access a list if the official debate official database becomes unavailable at any point. It looks like Nate is blowing up Facebook right now, which is definitely making pop-ups and vibrates on my phone. Officials should also ensure that every polling places enough provisional ballots to last through at least two hours of peak voting time so that if necessary, they can print and deliver more as needed without forcing voters to wait. Federal law requires that polling places provide provisional ballots which allow an individual to record a vote even in the event poll workers can't find the individual's names on a registration list. These paper ballots are only counted if election officials can later confirm that the individual was eligible to vote at the polling place. In the event of a hack, provisional ballots would ensure that individuals are able to cast a ballot while providing election officials additional time to determine eligibility using backup lists. Voting machines. There are no allegations in the Mueller indictment that Russia targeted voting machines in the 2016 election. Nevertheless, this is obviously a critical system to prevent tech from cyber attacks. There are many steps judges and should take be taken to ensure that hackers cannot reach voting machines in a way that impact the integrity of the election. Among those, conducting pre-election logic and actually testing for every machine that is akin to running a mini-election on each machine before it's put to use to ensure each machine is counting votes accurately. After the election is over, but before results are certified, jurisdiction should also conduct post-election audits for polling places in about two-thirds of the country. This means comparing a manual count of the paper ballots voters cast to the tally generated by the digital scanners that most of these jurisdictions employ to read said paper ballot. For polling places that use direct recording electronic voting machines, which allow individuals to lock votes by manually touching a screen, monitor, or other device, this means assuring these machines include voter verified paper audit trails. These paper printouts provide a permanent record of the votes cast by the individual and give voters the opportunity to review a paper record of their choices before casting their ballots. Unfortunately, 13 states are still using some, at least some direct recording electronic voting machines that have no paper trail as their primary polling place equipment, making audits in these states impossible. These machines should be replaced as soon as possible come November. It is also critical for any states using any kind of electronic voting machine to have emergency paper ballots that can be deployed immediately in case machines break down. Whether that breakdown is caused by a system failure or a hack, all these steps discussed above are critical not just to detect and recover from a hack against our election infrastructure, but to instill greater public confidence in our election systems more generally. As of now, it doesn't look like Russians altered or erased any voter registrations, meddled with any polling place, or changed any voters in the 2016 elections. But they were also after another central goal to cast out on the integrity of American democratic systems and institutions, regardless of their ability to successfully hack election systems in the future. We still need to know, keep wary of the discord, even suspicion of such sabotage can sow. Election officials who adopt strong contingency plans and make those plans known to their voters can also reassure citizens that regardless of what threats we face, voters will be able to cast ballots that will actually be counted. To be sure, the 2018 midterms could go off without a hitch, but instead of wishful thinking, states and counties need to hope for the best but prepare for the worst. Definitely agree that definitely be mindful and there should always be a safeguard in place to prevent something like this from happening. And kind of taking this to a movie, which is something I tend to do sometimes when I discuss an article. If you've seen the movie Man of the Year, it involves uh, computer glitches in the voting machines causing the wrong person to get tallied due to an algorithm inside the code that registers 
a vote by the number of letters in their name and not by the actual votes cast for them. So that was something interesting and definitely encouraging that movie. It's one of Robin Williams' better, more recent films. So definitely check that out. I think Jeff Goldblum's in it as well, which is always a good vote in favor. Now moving on from this Russian election hacking and all of that to more Russian-related items, and that involves Trump's trip abroad. And while before I get into that, you might notice that my voice sounds a little different. I'm recording from my home, finally. Um, not in my office yet. The office is still kind of full of boxes and under a little disarray, and it was currently housing the cats until about a day ago. So need a little bit of upkeep before I record from there, but we'll see. Hopefully the next couple weeks that'll be resolved and we'll be moving forward. House is still very much under construction. I'm looking at stuff I need to drywall and stuff I need to paint and all that fun stuff. So, but that's not what you're here listening to this episode. That's more for my other show, which is Adulting Ain't Easy, which is something that involves a lot of what's going on in my life right now, but we'll get more into that on Wednesday. But jumping from one article to another, this is from USA Today, and that involves... The Queen Abortion Putin in Protest, Highlights of Trump's Interview with Piers Morgan. Piers Morgan's 6,000-word account of his interview with President Donald Trump hit newsstands in the United Kingdom Sunday morning, but it's not until the 68th paragraph that Morgan gets around to quoting the President. It's good to see you, Piers, he said. The 30-minute interview in the Daily Mail produced a multitude of Trumpisms, or as Morgan himself put it, lengthy Morgan's story is filled with small talk asides and descriptions of Air Force One swivel chairs, but Trump didn't address a broad range of subjects in the interview, which also be broadcast on British television on Monday. Some highlights. On Roe vs. Wade, Trump said he understands why women would be concerned about whether Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh would be the deciding vote on whether to overturn Roe v. Wade, the 45-year-old decision legalizing abortion. I do understand, but I also understand that you know that's a 50-50 question in this country, he said. But he also insists there's a very good chance that the issue won't come up during his tenure on the court. Really? I don't know. Someday in the distant future, there could be a vote. A case is to get up there. It could be a long time before this case ever gets up there. Okay. On meeting Queen Elizabeth II, Trump had already heaped praise on the 92-year-old monarch in another tabloid before the meeting, but he said that the Windsor Castle tea lived up to expectations. It was very easy talk, he said. We had a great, a great feeling. On the topic of conversation, Brexit, the process for the United Kingdom to leave the European Union, she said it's a very... And she's right. It's a very complex problem. I think nobody had any idea how complex that was going to be, he said. Trump told me to sue the EU over Brexit. Oh, sorry. That's a different article. Uh, Press for details. Trump demurred citing royal protocol. You just don't talk about the conversation with the Queen, right? He said, let me tell you what I can talk about. She's an incredible woman. She is so sharp. She is so beautiful. It's always about looks with him. It's something I can't quite figured out. On his upcoming summit with Russia's Vladimir Putin, which I'll definitely talk about later, Trump said the Russian president is probably a ruthless person, but I could name others also. Okay. He repeated his position that better relations with Russia would be good for the United States. I think we could probably get along very well. Somebody said, are you friends or enemies? I said, well, it's truly to say, but right now I think I say we're competitors. On family separation at the border, Trump insisted that he didn't start the policy of separating children from their parents after crossing the border. That wasn't my policy, he interrupted. Obama had the same exact policy. In fact, they were showing pictures of kids separate from their parents, and they say, isn't this terrible? And it was pictures of 2014. Fact check. False. The pictures of children during the Obama administration were almost all unaccompanied minors, immigrant children who crossed the border without an adult. Trump's new zero-tolerance policy calls for parents suspected of crossing the border illegally to face criminal charges, which has required border agents to separate them from their children. Despite his executive order seeking to end separations, Trump defended the practice as a deterrent. 
Well, all I did was go by the law, he said. But you know the parents are put in jail, essentially. You know they came in illegally. Now when people come in illegally, they have their kids. There are consequences to that, but I still don't like the idea of separation. On his Twitter habit, the president said he types many of his tweets himself, but also dictates the 280-character dispatches to aides, telling them to put this exact statement out. I'm very exacting from the comma to everything, he said. Trump said he likes the immediacy of and the power of the medium. You're watching, and then, like, two seconds later, we have breaking news. Donald Trump, President Trump, has just been dot dot dot, he said. It's tremendous. You get the word out, and you really protect yourself from the lies. On the protests in London, which there were many, huge crowds protested Trump's visit to the UK last week with a parade that included a 20-foot Trump baby balloon. Trump previously said the protests made him feel unwelcome in London, but he told Morgan that protesters weren't all anti-Trump. Some of them are protesting in my favor, you know that, he said. There are many, many protests in my favor. Favorable protests. Interesting. And moving on from... Try having some technical difficulties. Technical difficulties here. And that involves... This is an article from The Hill. This is Fox and Friends host, I don't understand Trump tweet blaming U.S. for bad Russia relations. Fox and Friends host... Brian Kilmeade on Monday questioned why President Trump would send a tweet blaming the U.S. for poor relations with Russia before his meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin. I like the president's tweets, Kilmeade said. Sorry, I guess I have my sound on. Let me fix that. I like the president's tweets, Kilmeade said. I understand what he's trying to do with the European Union and NATO. But what I don't understand is this tweet. Kilmeade continued referencing Trump's tweet that said, The United States' relationship with Russia has never been worse thanks to many years of U.S. foolishness and stupidity and now the rigged witch hunt. It's really not our foolishness and stupidity. They might not like the things we're doing, but would you really say foolishness and stupidity is a correct characterization, Kilmeade asked? Trump is known to be a fan and avid watcher of the Fox News morning show. Kilmeade's comments came as Trump sat with Putin in Helsinki for a high-stakes meeting that Trump said would be focused on trade, arms control, and China. The meeting between leaders came just days after special counsel Robert Mueller indicted 12 Russian intelligence officials for their role in hacking the Democratic National Committee. Following the special counsel indictments, many Democratic lawmakers voiced opposition to a summit taking place. But Trump did not budge and said before the meeting that getting along with Russia is a good thing, not a bad thing. Trump has said multiple times that he would questioned Putin about the election interference, but also tempered expectations for what he might be able to do. I don't think you'll have any glee, I did it, I did it, you got me. There won't be a Perry Mason here, Trump said last Friday, referring to a courtroom drama from the 1950s and 60s. In addition, when Obama asked, or in addition, when asked by CBS if he would ask Putin to extradite the Russians that were charged in the indictment, Trump said he hadn't thought of that. But I certainly, I'll be asking about it, but again... This was during the Obama administration. They were doing whatever it was during the Obama administration, the president said. So, definitely tempering expectations. And going from the Hill to Fox News, Trump blasts Mueller probe Putin denies meddling as leader touts summit as success. President Trump and Vladimir Putin tackled allegations of election meddling in unprecedented terms following their one-on-one summit Monday, with Trump opening the door to an unusual offer of cooperation in the special counsel probe and the Russian president suggesting he indeed favored the billionaire businessman in 2016. But Putin emphatically and repeatedly denied meddling in the U.S. election, saying there's no evidence, and Trump, while saying they spent a great deal of time discussing the allegations, based the ongoing probe as a disaster for our country. The two leaders spoke at a free-willing joint press conference following a pair of meetings, one private in Helsinki, Finland. Trump and Putin touted the summit as a success, 
found improved ties on a range of issues. I'd rather take a political risk in pursuit of peace than to risk peace in pursuit of politics, Trump declared. During the press conference, few topics were off limits. The session was internationally reporters ended with Putin being asked whether they had, he had compromising material on Trump, which he dismissed as nonsense. Even that moment was overshadowed by the extensive comment on election meddling. Trump once again asserted there was no collusion. I didn't know the president there was no one to collude with and there was no collusion with the campaign, Trump said, suggesting Democrats have used the issue as an excuse for losing. We ran a brilliant campaign and that's why I'm president. When asked which side is responsible for damaged relations, Trump said, I hold both countries responsible. The statement drew bipartisan criticism back in Washington. This is bizarre and flat out wrong. The United States is not to blame. Senator Ben Sass, Republican of Nebraska, said in a statement. Former CIA Director John Brennan, who frequently blasts Trump, tweeted, Donald Trump's press conference performance in Helsinki rises to and exceeds the threshold of high crimes and misdemeanors. It was nothing short of treasonous. Not only were Trump's comments imbecilic, he is wholly in the pocket of Putin, Republican, Patriots, where are you? With three ex- or three question marks. The summit came just days after the Justice Department announced the indictment of a dozen Russian intelligence operatives for allegedly hacking Democratic targets in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. Putin has previously told Trump that Russia did not meddle in the 2016 presidential election. He repeated those denials Monday. And when asked whether he would extradite the 12 uh, Russians allegedly involved, Putin it said detailed a plan which Trump called an incredible offer. Putin offered to question the 12 indicted for meddling in the election, added that Mueller's team of investigators could be present for questioning. If U.S. officials would reciprocate, he suggested, he suggested this would mean Russian agents could be present for questioning U.S. officers of interest to them. Meanwhile, Putin, Putin suggested he favored Trump in the election, saying, Isn't it natural to be sympathetic towards a person who is willing to restore the relationship with our country? But he maintained there was no election interference. The two leaders said they discussed a host of other issues during their meeting Monday in Helsinki and were working towards strengthening U.S.-Russian relations which Trump said he had never been worse than it is now, despite the push from Democrats and some Republicans back home in the U.S. to cancel the summit. But he said that the relationship has changed. Trump said he would not make decisions on foreign policy in a futile effort to appease partisan critics, the media, or Democrats who went to resist and obstruct. At one point, Putin handed Trump a soccer ball and said, The ball is now in your court. The joint press conference was held minutes after the historic summit between the two leaders Monday, the two met one-on-one for more than two hours and later an expanded meeting with key advisors. Trump, as the private meeting began earlier Monday, said the two would have a lot of good things to talk about, from trade to missile defenses to China, most of other issues from Russia, election meddling, and the annexation of Crimea to Syria, were also expected to come up. I think we'll end up having an extraordinary relationship, Trump said sitting next to Putin earlier at the presidential palace in Helsinki. Getting along with Russia is a good thing, not a bad thing. Putin later said he and Trump agreed to continue detailed discussions on arms control issues. Putin said Russia and the U.S. should discuss a possible extension of the 2010 New START Nuclear Arms Reduction Treaty and the implementation of the 1987 Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty. Trump sat down with Putin after spending the last week sparring with traditional U.S. allies, first with NATO nations over their level of defense spending, and later with British Prime Minister Theresa May over her Brexit strategy. We seemed to patch things up before leaving London. The tensions early on as European tour created a contrast with efforts to improve ties with Moscow, leading to bipartisan concerns about the summit. The president also claimed ahead of this summit with Putin that the Russian president would not have invaded Crimea had he been in office, calling the globally condemned annexation an Obama disaster. Putin had signaled he would like to 
Trump to soften sanctions that Washington imposed over the annexation of Crimea and support for separatists in eastern Ukraine involvement in the Syrian civil war and allegations of Russian meddling. Trump signed an August 2017 law imposing additional sanctions on Russia. The law bars Trump from using many sanctions without Congress approval, but he can offer some relief without a nod from Congress. Almost 700 Russian people and companies are under U.S. sanctions. Individuals face limits on their travel and freezes on at least some of their assets, while some top Russian state banks and companies, including oil and gas giants, are effectively barred from getting financing through U.S. banks and markets. So definitely there's that. And like I said, there were some Republicans in Congress that definitely did not react well to this summit. And that takes me to the CNN article. Top Republicans in Congress break with Trump over Putin comments. After President Donald Trump's stunning news conference Monday next to Russian President Vladimir Putin, members of Congress, including some powerful Republicans, were quick to rebuke Trump's performance on the world stage, and Trump's refused to call Putin out for interfering in the U.S. US election. House Speaker Paul Ryan contradicted several comments Trump made during his Helsinki news conference, most notably backing the U.S. intelligence community assessment that Russia meddled with the U.S. 2016 presidential election. There's no question that Russia interfered in our election, continues... Attempts to undermine democracy here and around the world, said Ryan, a Republican from Wisconsin, in a statement. I don't know why it's a speaker there, but it, he's, he's still the speaker. This is not just the findings of the American intelligence community, but also the House Committee on Intelligence. Ryan continued, the president must appreciate that Russia is not our ally. There is no more equivalence between the United States and Russia, which remains hostile to our most basic values and ideals. The United States must be focused on holding Russia accountable and putting an end to its vile attacks on democracy. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell spoke briefly with Porter's Monday, giving his support to the U.S. intelligence community. I've said a number of times, and I say it again, the Russia are not our friends. I entirely believe the assessment of our intelligence community. The Kentucky Republican said he did not answer a question on whether he would tell Trump. They disagreed with him. Senator John McCain, the Arizona Republican who has consistently criticized the president, said Trump's comments were one of the most disgraceful performances by an American president in memory. Senate Foreign Relations Chairman Bob Corker said the president made us look like a pushover, and Putin was probably eating caviar on the plane home. I'm very disappointed and saddened with the equivalence that he gave between them, the U.S. intelligence agencies, and what Putin was saying, said Corker, a Tennessee Republican who is not seeking re-election. Trump's comments that appeared to equivocate Putin's denial of Russian election meddling and the U.S. intelligence community's assessment were commonly evoked in a steady stream of criticism. Republican Senator Ben Sass, Republican from Nebraska, issued a blistering statement just minutes after the press conference wrapped. Sass rebuked Trump's statement that he held both countries responsible for the deteriorated relationship between the United States and Russia. And this is kind of the same quote I talked about before. Uh, this is bizarre and flat-out wrong. The United States is not to blame. America wants a good relationship with the Russian people, but Vladimir Putin and his thugs are responsible for Soviet-style aggression, Sass said in a statement. When the president plays these moral equivalence games, he gives Putin a propaganda win, and he desperately needs. Some Republicans are deeply troubled by Trump. Some, some Republicans in both the House and Senate, even some typically seen as allies to the president, said in the hours following the news conference that they were concerned over what they heard Monday. The president summoned Helsinki today should have been an attempt at confronting Russian aggression, hacking, and election interference. Senator Tim Scott, a South Carolina Republican, said in a tweet, Russia is not a friend or ally. As Americans, we stand up for our interests and values abroad, but I fear today was a step backwards. As a member of the House Armed Services Committee, I am deeply troubled by President Trump's defense of Putin against the intelligence agencies of the U.S. and his suggestion of moral equivalence between the U.S. and Russia. Russia poses a grave threat to our national security, tweeted Rep. Rep Liz Cheney, a Wyoming Republican. 
Rep. Trey Growdy, a South Carolina Republican who was among the Republicans leading last week's sharp partisan hearing of FBI agent Peter Stork, made clear Monday he did not see Russia as a U.S. ally. I'm confident former CIA Director and current Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, DNI Dan Coates, Ambassador Nikki Haley, FBI Director Chris Wray, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, others will be able to communicate to the President it is possible to conclude a Russia interfered with our election in the 2016 without delegitimizing his electoral success, Gowdy said in a statement. Maine Republican Senator Susan Collins said she sharply disagreed with Trump's comments. It's certainly not helpful for the president to express doubt about the conclusions of his own team, Collins told reporters. He has he has assembled a first-rate intelligence team handled by Dan Coats and would put would hope that he would take their analysis over the predictable denials of President Putin. Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican from South Carolina, who has had a close working relationship with Trump on issues related to health care and tax reform, tweeted that the summit was a missed opportunity. Missed opportunity by President Trump to firmly hold Russia accountable for 2016 election meddling and delivers a strong warning regarding future elections, Graham tweeted. The answer by President Trump will be seen by Russia as a sign of weakness and create far more problems than it solves. Graham also warned Trump to leave a soccer ball a gift from Putin outside the White House. For me, I check that soccer ball for listening devices and never allow it in the White House, Graham said. Arizona Senator Jeff Flake, a Republican who had been a constant critic, called the president's performance shameful. I never thought I would see the day when our American president would stand on the stage with the Russian president and place blame on the United States for Russian aggression. This is shameful, tweeted Flake, who is not running for re-election. Rep. Will Hurd, a Texas Republican and former undercover CIA officer, expressed shock in Trump's attitude towards Putin and Russia. I've seen the Russian intelligence manipulate many people, many people in my career, and I never would have thought the U.S. president would be one of them. Republicans show support for U.S. intelligence community. The Illinois Republican Rep. Adam Kissinger called Trump's comments rebuking their U.S. intelligence community assessment a disservice, though he did not mention Trump by name. The American people deserve the truth, and to disregard the legitimacy of our intelligence officials is a disservice to the men and women who serve this country. It's time to wake up and face reality. Putin is not our friend. He is an enemy to our freedom, Kinzinger tweeted. The response came after Trump declined to endorse the Intelligence Committee findings that the Russian interfered in the 2016 U.S. election. And Trump said Putin was extremely strong and powerful in his denial. I have confidence in both parties, Trump said of Russia and the U.S. intelligence community. I have real confidence in my intelligence people, but I must tell you that President Putin was extremely strong and powerful in his denial. His denial, Trump said. A senior GOP congressional aide told CNN it's shocking he would disrespect our intel community on foreign soil next to Putin. Utah Republican Senator Orrin... Hold on one moment. This is weird. The one thing I'm still getting used to about living in a house is that people just show up at your door asking questions. Like, I did someone ask my door about how I would vote in the Illinois election in November. And, like, what party I would support and all that stuff. That's just random. It's something I'm definitely not used to with an apartment. You just get those random people, but... Yeah, back to what I was talking about uh, regarding uh, Tar Republican Senator Orrin Hatch. Russia interfered in the 2016 election, Hatch said in a statement, our nation's top intelligence agency all agreed on that point from the president on down. We must do everything in our power to protect our democracy by securing future elections from foreign influence and interference regardless of what Vladimir Putin or any other Russian operatives say. I trust the good work of our intelligence and law enforcement personnel who have sworn to protect the United States of America from enemies foreign and domestic. New Jersey Republican Frank Le- Blondo, Labiando, who chairs the House CIA subcommittee, also said Trump missed an opportunity to grill Putin. I strongly disagree with the statement that Russia did not meddle in 2016 election. With all I have seen on House Intel Committee and additional indictments of 12 Russian officials late last week, it's clear Russia's intentions 
President Trump's missed opportunity to hold Putin publicly accountable. Tweet Lobiandu, who's not running for re-election. And then we have Democrats are outage, but I'm kind of losing my voice, so I don't think I'm going to go into it. Obviously, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Chuck Schumer, all of them are making statements about it, Chris Murphy and the like. But, yeah, so I'm running a little long on this episode. We're sitting, I guess we're only sitting a little bit over 30 minutes, but I'm losing my voice because it's just been a stressful week and all of that. So I'm not going to get into the full details of the news conference. I'm going to wait and see kind of how the dust settles and definitely dive into it more next week on episode 48. I want to thank you all for listening to my show this week. It's always an honor bringing you the news. And I, if you have any comments, concerns, questions, criticism, any of that, feel free to give me feedback. You can reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the Poor Report. You can always reach out to JIC Network. Uh, they're kind of over me in terms of that regard, and they definitely pass information down if you're more likely to find it. You can go to all the other shows on our network at journeyintocomics.com. You can support us additionally by giving some money to our Patreon at patreon.com slash journeyintocomics. You can follow my other two shows that I'm a part of, which is Foodies Watching Movies, which our finale is rapidly approaching, as well as my other show that I do with my fiance Liz, which is Adulting Ain't Easy. Now, I can't just leave the episode like this. So since the original posting, it was during earlier in the day when I got the articles, and I didn't really see all of the extent of what had happened. I didn't read the full transcripts like I intended to before that. But basically what happened in the in the news conference following the Trump meeting is that he basically sided with President Putin over his own intelligence from like CIA, US, all of that stuff. And basically said, well, Putin said he didn't do it, so I believe him. Like, why would I not? I was, which is ridiculous. I don't know where he gets this. So it's late in the day. I needed to put this little button on the end of the episode just to make sure we all got our information here. I have another article from Fox News. I know I said I wasn't going to pull articles, but I found this. It says, Trump says uh, Mueller probe has driven a wedge between U.S. and Russia, says Putin calls it a shame. President Trump said Monday that special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation has driven a wedge between U.S. and Russia following a summit with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Maybe we've just knocked down the wedge, but it has driven a wedge, and President Putin said that, Trump told Fox News' Sean Hannity in an exclusive interview. One of the earliest things he said when he started was, it's really a shame because we could do so much good, and they drove a phony wedge. It's a phony witch hunt rigged deal with the guys like FBI agent Peter Stork and former FBI director James Comey and former FBI deputy director Andrew McCabe. And you can imagine who else. It's a real shame. Monday summit took place three days after a grand jury indicted 12 Russian intelligence operatives on charges related to cyber attacks on democratic organizations during the 2016 election campaign. At a news conference following the meeting, Putin offered to have Russian prosecutors question the indicted operatives and added that Mueller's team of investigators could be present for questioning if U.S. officials would reciprocate. Trump told Hannity he was fascinated by Putin's suggestion and then appeared to dismiss it, saying that the special counsel's team probably won't want to go. The 13 angry Democrats, you think they're going to want to go? I don't think so, said Trump, using one of his usual phrases to describe Mueller's investigation. The president added that the Russian leader was incensed even talking about the indictments and pointed out that Putin said there was absolutely no collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia in 2016. I think it's a shame. We're talking about all these different things and we get questions on the witch hunt, Trump said. I don't think the people out in this country buy it, but the reporters like to give it a shot. I think that President Putin was very, very strong. In an interview with Fox News, Chris Wallace, Putin said he was not interested in the Mueller investigation, calling it part of the internal political games of the United States. Trump told Hannity that he and Putin had a very long meeting and it was a good meeting. It was just two of us and interpreters, Trump said. At the end of the meeting, I think we really came to a lot of good conclusions. He continued... I think we're doing really well with Russia as of today. I thought we were doing 
horribly before today, I think we really had a potential problem. The president said the biggest issue between Russia and the United States has been nuclear proliferation, pointing out how the two countries account for 90% of the world's nuclear weapons, and we've had a phony witch hunt deal drive us apart. I know President Obama and global warming is our biggest problem, and I would say that no, it's nuclear warming is our biggest problem by a factor of about 5 million, Trump said. The nuclear problem, we have to be very careful. The president added that Putin told him he wants to be very helpful with North Korea. However, Trump said, we're doing well with North Korea, so we have time. There's no rush. It has to been going on for many years. You know, we got our hostages back. There's been no testing. There's been no nuclear explosion. There's been no rockets going over Japan, no missiles going over Japan for nine months. The relationship is very good. You saw the nice letter Kim Jong-un wrote, Trump said, and so I think a lot of good things are happening, but President Putin is very much into making all that happen. Trump also criticized the media coverage of his conduct at last week's NATO summit in Brussels, where he raised concerns about other members of the alliance not honoring their pledge to spend 2% of their GDP on the military. The media was very unfair. I raised $44 billion in the Secretary General of NATO's he said he raised $44 billion and, it was, and it was only President Trump because I said otherwise we're going to have to start thinking about our relationship to NATO. also said this, NATO is wonderful, but it helps Europe a lot more than it helps us, and they were paying for 90% of it. So I was amazed that much of the media said that I was tough, very tough and nasty to foreign leaders, and I was really wasn't at all, but I did say you have to pay up, Trump added. The president later returned to the Russian investigation, slamming Stork over his testimony before House lawmakers last week and calling him a total phony. It was a very dishonest deal, and you know you had to find out who did Peter Stork report to because it was Comey and it was McKay, but it was also probably Obama, said Trump. Stork is a disgrace to our country, a disgrace to the great FBI, a disgrace, and how is he still being paid is beyond belief. So, basically, it seems like it's a lot like it was with the Kim Jong-un meeting, is that basically if you butter up Trump in a meeting or praise him and condemn the people that he doesn't like already... He's going to be on your side. So that's basically what it seemed like happened. And I know since then, social media has taken on the whole impeach Trump, treason, Trump equals treason, all of this. And I'm not going to get into that now. I'm not here for just condemning someone. But it is kind of ridiculous that a president on foreign soil basically said that his intelligence, who've been doing this for many years longer than he's been involved in politics saying they were wrong, and the president of a foreign country who has his own set of problems and is kind of a dictator is fine and strong and a great leader, just like you said about Kim Jong-un. So it's basically as long as you pay him a nicety, he's going to be your best friend, and anyone he doesn't like and you don't like, that person's out. That person's going to be against him. So obviously, Putin's not going to admit to that he did anything in the 2016 election, but literally three days after they indicted 13 Russians, he's like, oh, he'll look, he'll look into it. He'll interview them. You can even have your guys there. Like this is a little, if we reciprocate. So it seems like eventually it's just going to be Russia and the United States in this weird buddy cop movie. I just, I don't know what to think about it. I'm it's late. I'm tired, but this is just ridiculous. Trump can't keep siding with these dictators of foreign countries and denouncing our allies. He's going to isolate us and make us our own little separate country. We're going to be the North Korea of the 21st century. And there's already a North Korea of the 21st century. I don't know. I really want 2018 to at least end up with a House majority, or the majority in the Senate and the House of Democrats, so at least make Trump a lame duck president. All can do is 
complain on Twitter, and then he'll probably be happy because then he doesn't worry about getting anything done because he can just blame the Democrats like he's been doing since the election. But hopefully we'll see that Trump is a one-term president if he makes it that long. But I don't want to be biased on this show. I don't want someone to say, oh, the poor poor is all democratic or it's all it's a liberal news. It's a part of the mainstream media. It's a part of fake news. I'm trying to be ba- I'm trying to be balanced here. I'm not attacking Trump just because he's Trump and I don't like him. I disagree. I with uh, some stuff that people do that are against him. I think there's always extremes with every cause, every event, every situation. But I think this is kind of above and beyond that. I think it's definitely something that should be discussed and I think Pence, who's been pretty quiet on social media since this event, maybe something around the 25th Amendment could be something that will happen, but I think either way we have to figure out what we're going from here. November's a long way away, and they're still over two years away from a next presidential election. And I read another article that said Trump's war chest is already like Ton, I don't even know what the maximum. It was like fifty-three million or fifty-three billion dollars. I don't think it's billion. Billion seems a little extreme. Probably fifty-three million dollars already, and it's two years away from an election, and they're not going to prop up another Republican against him that I can imagine. At least at this point, the Republican Party itself seems pretty subservient to Trump and Trump's Republican Party, as opposed to the normal Republican Party, which isn't all that bad. So we'll see how this shakes out. But I really want to see how the next week goes because. He's already interviewing saying it was great and that Putin is great and it's a shame the media doesn't talk about it. So I don't know what to think, but it's late. I need to button up this up. So that's the poor report for this week. I'm Andrew Poor. Have a great week and just keep reading the news. It's a mess out there, but if you if you stick your head in the sand like an ostrich, you're not you're just going to fall behind.